Thank you, Doug. Well, good morning and welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Matt, and I get the privilege to share with you a little bit this morning. And um, we are starting a new series for the next couple weeks. Uh, you can see the title up on the screen. Um, title of this series is Haggai, The Time Is Now. Haggai. Some of you may have never heard that word before. That is the name of uh, an Old Testament prophet. Um, it's a tiny little book. Um, that is buried kind of in a hard-to-find spot in the Old Testament. Um, go ahead and turn to it right now, Book of Haggai. It's between Zephaniah and Zechariah, if that's helpful to you. That was just a joke. It's really hard to find. You don't have to find it. We'll, I'll read it to you, and then we'll put stuff on the screen. If you want to look, you can, but... Um, the Book of Haggai. So we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at this uh, Old Testament... Um, short little book. It's only two chapters, and it talks about just this very kind of short little slice of story of the uh, Israelite people and a specific moment kind of in their history. And we're going to take the next couple weeks and just kind of dig into that. And uh, I'm excited because I think that this little book, even though it was written more than 2,500 years ago at this point, has things that are really valuable to us today, that there are things that the people of Israel experienced in their relationship with God that mirror a lot of things that I experience in my relationship with God right now. There are ways that God encouraged and challenged the people that I think he can use to encourage and challenge us here today now as well. And so I'm excited for us to dig into this book a little bit over the next couple weeks. Today we're just going to be in chapter one, but before we kind of get into that, I wanted to just um, lay a little bit of a foundation for you. Um, there's just a kind of a phrase on the screen that I want to see if you can identify with at all. It says this, I thought that by this point in my life, there would be something different or something better. I thought that by this point in my life, there would be something different or something better. You know, I think that we can, if we're honest, we all probably have had a number of moments where we kind of paused for a moment and took stock and realized that that's kind of what we were feeling. Like, I, th I thought that I had some hopes or some dreams or some expectations, and I kind of thought that, like, by this point in my life, things would have been different or better. I don't know if that's uh, something that you experienced um, when you were maybe in college and, and thought, you know, by the time I was 20, I was hoping that, that I would know what I wanted to do with my life. But here I am, I, I have tens of thousands of dollars of debt, and I still have no idea what's next for me. And I, I was hoping that by this point, like, things would be a little bit different, and I still feel lost. Or maybe a little bit past that, and you felt like, how, by the time I turned 25, I was really hoping to, like, be on the road to a career and was, would start feeling like I was a grown-up by now and would, would feel like I was taking strides professionally and was in a, in a workplace where I was feeling satisfied with what I was doing. And you're looking around and realizing my life doesn't feel like that. Like, I, I don't feel like a grown-up. I don't feel like I have a career that's promising. I just feel like I'm working the same job because it's all I can find to pay the bills. Or worse, um, maybe you thought, hey, hey, I really hoped that by the time I was at this point in life, I'd be married or start, be able to start a family. And I, that's just not, like, where things 
are at, and it's not where my journey has kind of led me, and I just was kind of hoping for something different or something better, and it's, it's the way that my journey is um, kind of transpiring, it's, it's not what I had expected. I had, I had higher hopes um, than the reality that I'm experiencing right now. It's not just those young seasons of life. Maybe, maybe you're at a point in life where you think, a lot of my peers are retiring and starting to enjoy the fruits of a, a long career and are able to start resting, and that just it feels impossible for me. I, I can't stop working. I still have to continue to, to do some of the same stuff, and I kind of was hoping that by the time I was 65 or 70 or 75, like I could start slowing down a little, but it just, I, for whatever reason, it, I just can't do that yet. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. I think that this is just a general thing that we all go through seasons where we feel like I kind of was hoping that things were going to be different than they are. And this is, this is how we set the stage for um, looking at chapter one of Haggai, because I think that the Israelite people experienced a lot of these same kinds of feelings that they were in kind of just a general mood of feeling like we had thought things were going to be different by now. We thought things were going to be a little bit better than they are. Um, before I go too much deeper, I want to give you just a little bit of background about kind of what has led up to um, this moment in time where we're going to pick up the story in Haggai. And so uh, I'm going to just show you a short video. I think it's really helpful in just kind of like laying some groundwork so you have a little idea of where the people of Israel were kind of coming from by the time we pick up the story in Haggai. So here's a short overview. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters one to six. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. So we pick up this story. The, the nation of Israel has been captured 70 years ago. They were captured and um, dragged 900 miles away to live in captivity. And so their entire lives have been uprooted. Their, their nation was really kind of uh, brought down to nothing. Uh, their temple was destroyed. The temple, which was kind of the physical... Um, the physical location where the people met with and communed with God, where they worshiped God, where God was uh, present with them, their temple was destroyed in this process. Um, their city was kind of left in ruins. And so they've spent 70 years 
away from their home. And um, just before the beginning of Haggai, uh, about 50,000 Israelites were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and were even given uh, by the kind of the new king, were given uh, like permission and an endorsement and even given some resources to go and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild your nation and rebuild your temple and kind of given that like um, edict, like go back, feel free. If you want to do that, like you're welcome, you're free, we're not going to keep you here. Go ahead and go back, rebuild things. And so um, I really think that as you read this story through much of the, the Old Testament, there are pieces of it that you can kind of read in different um, places in the Old Testament, you get this idea that this moment in time where they are going back to Jerusalem, there, there are just high expectations and, and their hopes are really high. They, they are looking forward to the future. They're looking forward to a moment where it feels like finally we're able to go home again and things are going to be good and we're going to be able to rebuild. We're going to be able to, to rebuild and kind of regain our identity as a nation. We're going to be able to rebuild the temple and regain our spiritual identity. Um, we're going to have a place again where we can meet with God, where we can worship him and, and um, give him glory. And they were excited and anticipated a good future, and we're looking forward to what was going to come as they had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem and begin the process of rebuilding. And so just before Haggai, um, we find out that they, they uh, you can read some of this in the book of Ezra, but they get back to Jerusalem, and they start the process of rebuilding. They start uh, rebuilding the walls. They start rebuilding um, just kind of the structure of the nation, and they start rebuilding the temple. And after they lay the foundation of the new temple, again, this is, this is very directly tied to like their spiritual identity. Um, this is kind of the, the call from God, like, reconnect with me, reconnect with my covenant with you, rebuild the temple, and that will be how we um, take steps forward together. Um, as the people are, they lay the foundation for the new temple to, to try to rebuild it, and um, when that happens, they receive some opposition from surrounding lands and peoples who have kind of become comfortable in the last 70 years. And so um, the Samaritans are there, and they, they start writing these letters to the king of Persia and saying, you got to put a stop to this. Like, I know that you said that it was okay for these guys to come back, but we're, they can't, you cannot allow them to rebuild this temple. If they rebuild this temple, they're no longer going to be faithful to you, the king of Persia. They're going to they're gonna, take back up right where they left off. They're going to start worshiping their God again. They're going to be loyal to him only, and you can't afford for that to happen. So you've got to, you've got to put an end to this. And so there, there are these back and forth letters that you can read about. But, but essentially, they start to feel some opposition. They start to feel like this is the call of God for us to go back to Jerusalem, for us to reconnect with our spiritual identity, for us to start again worshiping God, to build a place where he can be honored and glorified, and then it gets hard. And they kind of just push the pause button for like 14 or 15 years. And that's where we like pick up at the beginning of this book. 
is that they, they had a calling, they came, they were making progress, and then they pushed the pause button and kind of stepped back from the thing that God was calling them to do, and they just took a break for like 15 years. And then we get to Haggai. So I'm just going to read this to you from chapter one of Haggai. I'm, this, this part's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to this from me. Um, Haggai chapter one, verse number two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So this is a, a really direct kind of... Um, moment where God is calling the people out, where he is confronting something that he sees in them. That, he, that he's saying, I, I called you here with a purpose and a mission. I called you back here to reconnect with who I made you to be, with your spiritual identity. And yet it's not happening. You pushed pause and stepped back. I want to ask you this. Spiritually speaking, what purpose or calling do you need to return to? I really believe that, that um, one of the ways that this connects to us is that I think that there are a lot of ways that we have done similar things to the people of Israel. That there are ways that, that for most of us, if we're really honest and, and kind of look back over our lives, look back over our past, maybe even look back just this week, there are ways that we can see that God may have been calling us, encouraging us, challenging us to obedience, to a mission, to a purpose of some kind. And that if we're really honest, we've probably not done an excellent job at responding in obedience. I think that some of the things that we're gonna look at here again with Haggai and the people of Israel mirror some of the, the reasons why we might fail to be as obedient as maybe we should be. So this first part, Haggai 1-2, I read this already, but I wanna read it again. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. I want you to think again for a moment. What is, if you, if you even had to put your finger on something, I've, I think that probably for most of us, we could even specifically identify something and say, uh, yeah, I think, 
I think at one point God was putting this on my heart and encouraging me to do this or was challenging me to be obedient in this way. If you're thinking about that thing, I, I kind of want you to listen to the rest of today through the lens of that thing that maybe God has called you to, but that you have possibly not responded to very well. Here's, here's the first problem with the people of Israel. These people say, sorry, go back to that one more time. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So I told you the whole thing. They've been back there. They were even given support and resources from the king of Persia to rebuild the temple. They get there. They have the manpower. They have the financial resources. They have kind of the mandate to do it. They have the call from God to rebuild and reconnect with him. And yet it gets a little bit hard, and they say, well, it, it must not be the right time. This must not be the time for us to actually like rebuild the temple. Let's everybody put the brakes on here. This might not be the right moment. And I think that we do the same thing like all the time. When things get a little bit difficult or a little bit challenging, we have a tendency sometimes to just kind of justify inaction or justify like, pumping the brakes by saying, well, if it's challenging, then maybe it's not God's will. If it's difficult, then it must not be what God actually wants me to do. I want you to look at the screen for this next thing. Opposition or difficulty isn't always a sign that God is against you. Often, it can be a sign that you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. Often it can be a sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. See, for the people, it felt like we thought it was the right thing, but then it got hard. We thought it was the right thing, but then all this, these other people around us were started to, to oppose us and started to write letters saying bad things about us and trying to get the king to stop us. And, and so it must mean that this is not the right time for us to continue to move forward. And what I want to tell you is that I, I am convinced that, that there are spiritual forces at work around us. I am convinced that when we find ourselves, when we place ourselves, when we choose to be in the center of God's will for us, that there is a great likelihood that we become a bigger threat and become the focus of opposition or difficulty in an effort to slow down the forward movement of the kingdom of God. And so I really am convinced that opposition is not always a sign that God wants us to stop or slow down or change course, that frequently when we are choosing to, to be obedient to Christ, when we're choosing to be obedient to the call of God on our lives, we are going to experience opposition and we're going to experience difficulty. And that's not a reason to stop and to pump, pump the brakes and to push pause and say, whoa, uh, this, the time is not now. These people wrote a letter, like, this must not be the time. 
I think that sometimes when we are choosing to be in God's will, choosing to be obedient to the things he's calling us to, there's a good likelihood that we can expect difficulty. I mean, we hear from, from Jesus that, uh, like, in this world, like, we'll, we're going to have trouble. Like, that is, a, that is a promise and a guarantee that it's not going to be easy. But what God says to the people of Israel, and I think that what God says to us is persevere when it gets difficult because I will give you everything that you need. Often it can be a sign that you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. The next verse. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? I was reading just a handful of different things because it was, I don't know what a paneled house is. Um, and most of the commentaries I was reading were just saying that it, it was um, an uncommon uh, like building practice that was uh, something that you would see with uh, associated with like affluence. And so people with a lot of money would panel the inside of their home. Like most homes were brick and stone uh, and mortar. If you paneled the inside of your house, it meant you had uh, the money to do it. It meant that you had the energy to do it. It meant that you had the time and the motivation to go and find the timber and, and get it to your uh, work site and to process it, to do all this stuff. And, and so uh, a paneled home was like kind of the top uh, notch. So granite countertops, um, pool in the backyard, I don't know, what, what, whatever else this would be for us. But God says to the people, he says, they say that it's not time to build the temple, but is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses? while my house still lies in ruins? I mean, it's a really pointed question that God asks. And I think if, if he were to ask a similar question to us, it would maybe sound slightly different, but it would sound something like, you've said it's not time to, to be obedient to the thing I'm calling you to do. You've, you've used excuses and you've justified by saying, I, I don't have the margin in my life. I don't have the time to, do, to obey you and to do that thing right now. I just don't have the resources. Maybe eventually when I have a better job and make some more money, maybe when I have a little bit more time, maybe when, maybe when, maybe you say the time is not now. But I think that God looks at a lot of us and says, you have it. You, you have the energy and the resources and the time to be obedient to me. I called you. I gave purpose to your life. I asked you to do fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. I know that you have the time and the resources and the availability and the energy because You've invested in all these other things. You're living in a paneled home. 
you've got it pretty well off. And so what God is saying to them is, it's not that it's not the time, it's that you've decided that there are other things that are more important for you to do right now. It's not that it's not my will, it's that you've chosen something else. And so this, this first portion of Haggai is a call to the people to return back to what God had called them to in the first place. It's a call to the people to return to what God had asked them to do in the first place. A call to return to the mission. A call to return to the purpose that God had placed on their lives. A call to stop making excuses. And all of a sudden, that sounds a lot like us. So what do we do with some of that? There's a few blanks for you to fill in and a, and a few things I think that are important for us. First is give careful thought to your ways. These are the exact words that, that God kind of uses to the people. He says um, in chapter one, verse five, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. In other words, look in the mirror for a second. Could we just... Take a moment and evaluate where things are at. And so I think it's important that we do this regularly. I think it's important that we do this literally today. I think it's an important ongoing practice for us to take a moment and look in the mirror and consider what, what am I doing? When it comes to my obedience to God, when it comes to my willingness to respond to the things he might be asking me to do, if I was to consider my ways, what does that look like? Am I quick to respond to him? Am I quick to be obedient to him? Is there something in my past that he asked me to do or put a, a calling on my heart or led me in some direction that I have effectively pushed pause on? Is there a way that I've kind of justified or chosen to make excuses and say, eh, this is not the right time? What has he been asking you to do? When you consider your ways, when you give careful thought to your ways, where does that help you end up? Number two, maybe your heart needs to change or needs to adjust. I just think that so frequently, um, the pattern that we see like over and over through the history of the Israelite nation and then it's the pattern we see in ourselves, too, is that, that we just kind of drift toward a calloused heart where we kind of stop listening to the voice of God and we stop being able to hear the voice of God. And so if it feels like, I used to kind of hear God like prompting me or, or moving me in a direction or, or encouraging me to do this or, or speaking to me in that way... Um, but I don't really hear that anymore. Sometimes it's a heart issue and, and we need to take some time to 
figure out how to reconnect our hearts with him. I talked a couple weeks ago when I was sharing about the importance of just being reminded of who God is and what God has done and how that can change our hearts and how it can soften our hearts to be reminded of, of the depths from which we've been pulled. In all of these instances throughout the Old Testament, um, every time God comes to confront the people, it always kind of includes this call to repentance first, to say, I, I, I want you to turn back around and turn back toward me, because you've turned your attention away from me, you've turned your hearts away from me, you've turned your energy away from me. First, like, repent and come back. And so sometimes that's the first step for us, is just to turn back to him to be reminded of who he is and what he's done for us. This, the next thing is that maybe your priorities need to change. Really, a lot of this comes down to the, the Israelites had, they just shifted their priorities. When things got difficult, when they chose to pump the brakes, when they chose to kind of step back from the mission and the purpose that God had called them to in that time and in that moment, it allowed their priorities to change and to shift to other things. Haggai 1.6 says, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. There's so many things that can become priorities over our service to our Savior. It may not be that your heart is hard necessarily, but it may be that you simply have so many other things occupying your time and your energy and your money. Much of this section of Haggai really is about God encouraging the people to reprioritize kingdom work over these other personal pursuits to reprioritize the building of the house of God before focusing their energy and time and money on building their own homes. And again, it's, I, I mean, that sounds familiar. If we, if we were to, to think through the amount of time and energy and money we spend um, in obedience to Christ versus pursuits of sometimes really great other things, our priorities are frequently not aligned with the gospel. Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and that all the other things will kind of fall into line after that. He tells us also to... Um, Store up treasures in heaven. If we were to, to really look in the mirror and, and look at our lives, where do our priorities lay? And the last thing is just that maybe you need to do something. This is not like a, a super deep theological light bulb moment here or anything. This is just a really straightforward, sometimes we just need to do something. Sometimes God is asking us to respond. Sometimes God is asking us to be obedient. Sometimes he's, he is uh, putting a call on us to go somewhere 
or to do something. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what that thing has been. And maybe it's been for the last 15 years. Maybe it's been for the last 40 years. Maybe it's just been for the last couple days. But maybe there's something that God has been putting in front of you and saying, this, this is for you. This is, what, this is part of my purpose for your life. This is part of my purpose for your future. This is part of why you're here. This is part of what I need you to do as a part of my kingdom. And sometimes we get so worried about needing step three and four and five and 10 and needing the whole plan and needing to make sure we have all our ducks in a row before we do anything that we just forget to do something. And and so I think that one of the things that God is saying to us today that he was saying to the people then is just, it's not as hard as you're making it. Do something to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. I, I put my kids to bed every night, and um, they, it's amazing how uh, good they are at delaying going to bed. Um, they're like little professionals at it. And so there's always an extra drink or an extra book that needs to be read or an extra conversation about something that is completely unrelated. Um, just in an effort to kind of like, because they want to fill the time and don't want to go to bed. And uh, so sometimes I, when I've had a long day and I'm ready just for the excuses to end is sometimes my eyes will just get big and my teeth will stop <laughs> moving when I talk. And I'll say things like, go upstairs and brush your teeth and get in bed. <laughs> and they just have a tendency of like, but can I please just get one more? Go upstairs and brush your teeth and get in bed. I'm just, it's really simple. I'm asking you to do those three things. We don't need to read books. We don't need to do anything else. Can I please just get go upstairs, brush your teeth, and get in bed? And I just, I, I feel like God is like saying this to the people of Israel too. Here's what he says in this next verse. Um, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. He says, you said this is not the time. You've invested your energy in all of these other pursuits. You've tried to do all these other things. You said that it's not the right moment for you to spend time um, building or being obedient to what I've called you to do. Go to the mountain, <laughs> get the timber, and build my house. Just do something. Like It's not the, as complicated as you're making it. I have a purpose for you, and I'm calling you, and I'm just looking for you to respond with something today. Put one foot in front of the other, take a step toward me, go to the mountain, get some wood, and get to work. Like, and, and I think he says that to us. I think he says, you know what? Like, I love you, and I'm patient with you, and I'm going to continue to be patient, but like I've, I've put this calling on your life because I'm serious about it and because I actually want you to do this thing. So whatever it was that I asked you to think about earlier, I, I just want you to hear this today. Go upstairs, brush your teeth, and go to bed. No, no. That, I want you to hear this today. Do something. Take 
a step, like literally before the day is over today, if there's something that you feel like God has been calling me to that, he's, he's put it on my mind and on my heart over and over, over the years, and I just have been keeping at a distance, stop and take a step toward him in obedience. Whatever that might mean, like don't let another day go past with you saying, the time's not now. There will be a better time later for me to be obedient to you. It'll work out differently, I'm sure, in the future, and then I'll be able to like respond to you well. Just do something. This is what I believe God said to the people of Israel, and it's what I believe he's saying to us today. On the next slide. I redeemed you. I brought you out of captivity. I gave you the freedom to go home. I saved you, not so that you would come back and focus on yourself, but so that you would join the mission and serve the very king who liberated you. Like, that's the message that, that God has for the people of Israel. He's saying, I, I brought you here. I put this calling on your life. I gave you a purpose, not so that not so that I could rescue you and redeem you and, and give you a new life for you to focus it all on your own pursuits, but so that you could be a part of something bigger than yourself, so that you could be a part of my kingdom, so that you could be a part of what I'm doing here and now. And God says the same thing to us. How are we going to respond to him? And what are we going to do? Would you stand up with me just where you're at? There's a prayer on the screen that I'd like you just to read quietly to yourself, and then we're going to read it out loud together if, if, this, if the words of this prayer kind of match where your heart is at today. I don't know what the specific thing is for you. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's a call to repent, to change, to stop something, to start something, to grow in some way, to love differently. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I believe that God is calling each of us specifically today to action that there's something in front of each of us that he wants us to take steps toward. If you feel like this prayer uh, echoes where your heart is at, would you just pray it out loud with me right now? God, I recognize that too frequently my priorities shift away from you and the things that are important to you. Please forgive me for the times that I have failed to make you the center of my life. And please help me today to have the courage to step forward toward the things that you were calling me to do. I want to honor you and serve you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.
He loves you. He has good things in mind for you. He's looking for you to, to have the courage to just step toward him in obedience. Whatever that means for you specifically to be obedient to him, like don't let the sun go down today without taking a step toward him. He's so good and it's such a privilege to serve him and be a part of what he's doing. Would you say yes to him today in whatever that is? Um, just like every week, if, if uh, it would be helpful for you to pray with someone, we have a prayer team that's over to the right of the stage. It would love to um, pray with you this morning um, and spend a couple moments with you. Please feel free to go over there. Everybody else, thank you so much for joining us today. We will see you next week.